Hey there, this is Brian. I'm the host of the Engaging Missions show. If you've found this show for the first time, I did want to take a second to let you know that this show is not currently in production. You're certainly welcome to check out all of the archives, but we don't have new episodes coming out at the moment. However, I did want to take a second to highlight one of the sponsors that sponsored the show a while ago. They're not currently sponsoring the show, but if you're looking for a place to invest in the kingdom, I'd recommend checking out Mega Voice Audio Bibles. You can find them at megavoice.com, or you'll find a link in the show notes, and I would encourage you to just check that out and see if maybe that's a fit for your giving. There's no compensation here or anything like that. I just wanted to highlight them. And with that, I'll get you back into the regular program. Welcome to the Engaging Mission Show with Brian Ensminger. We are bringing missions home. Each week, we hear from missionaries, ministry leaders, disciple makers, and church planters as they share about God's work in their lives and ministries. Like us, they are ordinary people who serve an extraordinary God. Ladies and gentlemen, here's your host, Brian Ensminger. Greetings, world changers. Welcome to the Engaging Missions Show. I'm your host, Brian Ensminger, and we have a very special guest today. In fact, I'm not exactly sure where to start with this introduction because it's amazing to me, but we are talking to a cancer-surviving, child-loving missionary to Haiti who's actually now back in the U.S. She and her husband are what I would call second-career missionaries. They were in the marketplace, and then God called them to a new career a few years ago. There were some bumps and some turns and some really unexpected experiences in their journey, and I can't wait to get into those. And that leads us to our conversation with Jane Dennington today. Jane, welcome to the show. Well, thank you. Glad to be here. It's great to have you. So as we get to know you, as we start out this interview, I like to spend the first few minutes getting to know the guests and learn a little bit about them. We know a little bit about you at a high level. We know that you've seen some changes in your life. Both you and your husband were in the marketplace before becoming missionaries. Can you share what you were doing? My husband is a career um, iron worker and worked construction um, almost all of his life. He is uh, also a person that God has gifted to be able to do a lot of things with his hands, uh, electrical, plumbing, uh, things like that, working uh, behind the scenes. I w- was uh, worked in a lot of retail. I also had my own sewing business and um, very active in our church. And, but God has used us in different ways throughout our lives. But calling us to the mission field was the biggest uh, surprise to us. We have five daughters. Uh, two are born to us. One was adopted. And then we have two daughters that God brought to us in a very special way into our lives. And with those five girls, we have uh, 10 grandchildren wow. and eight great-grandchildren. That's amazing. Do you mind sharing a little bit about how God brought those two special girls to you? Our daughter married uh, a, young, a young man, and he had two sisters. Okay. Their parents had died quite young, and so they were single moms, and so when he came into the family, they joined our family as well. Well, that's great. So moving from Pennsylvania, transitioning from, you know, iron worker and so- seamstress and, you know, working in retail and then going into Haiti, that's, that's a bit of a transition. What was that like for you? It was a surprise. Uh, with my background as and my life problems. Um, I grew up in a, a non-Christian family, and I was adopted when I was 16 years old. But before that time, I had been through a lot of abuse, sexual and uh, 
physical abuse from uh, family members. And so I was a very angry teenager and it took a long time uh, for me to accept and trust God. So for me to end up in the mission field, it's just amazing how God can use anyone and use the talents that we've and the gifts and our life experiences for his for himself my husband it was tough for him because he's a homebody he doesn't like change i can remember when we first got married saying let's let's uh move to another city and and try something new and actually we lived three miles from his parents so for him to go to, to haiti was just uh it was a surprise to me and him as well have you found that God has used those experiences in your life, some of the challenges, some of the difficulties, to be able to minister to other people? Yes, he has. Uh, uh, you know, it reminds me, of our life verses, First Peter chapter 4, verses 10 and 11. It says, each of you should use whatever gifts you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If you speak, you should do it with one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do it with the strength God provides, so that all things may be praised through Jesus Christ, to him the glory and the power forever and ever. All of the things that have happened in my life have given me tools to help other people. Hmm. And the, the um, things that I learned as I began to trust him and to let him control my life and heal me, has given me the ability to understand and work with other people. And for my husband, all the things, his careers and the things that God has allowed him to go, we both see that all of those things were part of the puzzle that put us together to make us useful uh, to God, to be his tools. Wow. I, I got to tell you, as as I'm sitting here listening to your story, I'm just astounded. I know that God can do these kinds of things, and yet to hear somebody telling me firsthand, God did this kind of thing in my life, that is just amazing to me. Uh, I guess I probably shouldn't be surprised anymore, but just every time it's like it's fresh and new. So thank you so much for sharing that. As I know that you're here in the U.S. right now, uh, but you spent a couple of years, uh, a few years in Haiti. Can you share a little bit about how life was different for you there versus how it is for you here? One of our biggest, um, one of our most difficult things was leaving our family. Mm-hmm. And uh, we went over on a short-term mission trip. I went the first time, and my husband um, came on the second trip. And I felt called to be there, but... I also knew that it would be a struggle leaving my children, but it would also be a struggle to convince my husband that we should go to a foreign country. But I didn't have to do any of that. I just stood back and I just let God work. And um, when we came back on our second trip, I stayed two weeks longer than my husband did. And when we came back, God had already pierced his heart. And the first thing he said to me was, Honey, we need to talk. God's calling us to Haiti full time. Learning a language, we were in our late 50s, was another struggle for us to uh, learn a language. Neither one of us had ever taken a language in school, so we didn't even have anything to draw from to help us in that. And to um, to set in, settle into another culture, when you're young and you go into these kind of things, it's, it's so much easier than when you're set in your ways as we were. But God, short, uh, in a short period of time, gave us all the tools and the people that we needed to be able to do that. Was there anything that you had to unlearn from your past experience in order to be able to enter into and become more a part of the Haitian culture? 
there's so many things that they do differently, yet so many things they do a lot alike. People are the same throughout the world. They love their children just as much as we do. They love each other. Relationships in the Haitian culture is so important. But their pace is so much slower than ours. I think the most difficult thing for me in is to meet into relationships with them the way the way they do versus the way we do. For example, when I was teaching them English, I would say, when an American says, hi, how are you? That does not necessarily mean we want to take the time to hear. We're busy, we're moving on. But for a Haitian, that's a very important thing. They want to know how you are. They want to know how you slept. They want to know um, how your family is doing. And so that was difficult for me to slow down and have d deep and meaningful conversations with them. And um, what, other than what my work and my lesson was to be, it, that these relational conversations are extremely important to the Haitian people. Is there something that maybe we in our culture could learn from the way they approach life? Yes, we are too much, we live too much by the clock. Even the Haitians would laugh and when we'd say, okay, 15 minutes till, till lunchtime. And one young man was laughing and he said, you even eat by the clock. Yeah. You have certain times to eat. You have certain times to... Uh, the clock regulates our lives so much. To a Haitian, if they're on their way to an appointment that starts at 9 o'clock and they see someone along the road, a relative that they've not seen for a while, it's okay to stop and have a conversation and be late for that, that appointment because relationships are that much more important to them. Wow, that's, that's pretty powerful. You know, as, as I think about getting to know people, it seems like sometimes everybody's life can is looking from the outside can look like it's filled with puppies and kittens and rainbows. But sometimes it also seems that way for missionaries in particular as missionaries come back on furlough and they're sharing stories. A lot of times we find that they share the, the wins and the, the good stories. And those are good. Those are powerful. But I think sometimes we can connect better when we hear stories of challenges and stories of how God has gotten people through a difficult time. Is there a, a story of a significant challenge or failure that you'd like to share with us? Well, one of the most difficult um, things for us that people don't realize that missionaries are just people. Hmm. We have bad days. We have times where we're not seeking God and everything, that um, we want to have control of every situation, to sit and, and depend and wait on Him. We have days that we become angry and discouraged. All those things that everyone has. And many times... Our, we feel unappreciated. Sometimes it's we're lonely. Sometimes uh, we just feel disconnected because we're not in our own culture. Um, those are all things that are very difficult in a missionary's life. And so to encourage or to write to a missionary or to um, just say, hey, I thought of you today. Um, those are such things that are so important to remember that um, we're, we're in a place where even going to church, um, we may be able to speak the language, but it's not. We're not worshiping in our culture. We're just we're just feeling disconnected from what is familiar to us, and it can be a very lonely place at times. When you get to those times of loneliness, what has God done to encourage and strengthen you during those times? 
Oh, God is faithful. Um, he brought so many Haitians into our lives that genuinely loved us and cared for us more than um, just a work relationship. Strong Christians that just seemed to know that we needed um, a little a little loving ourselves. Hmm. I think of a woman named Josiane. Um, she's a, a, a wonderful woman. She come into my house and she would help with cooking and things because we put in long days and sometimes she would just sit down and just hold my hand and talk to me and just say how are you are you doing okay i pray for you every day and it just reminded us that even though um we're away from home god gives us a family in haiti as well we have a young man named jesslyn who became like a son to us that is now running our ministry in haiti for us um just those kind of things just um God reminding us that he knows what we need and he can provide it even through the people that we go to serve. They're serving us as well. So you shared a little bit earlier about your, your life verse, First uh, Peter 4, 10, and 11. Is there another verse or a meaningful quote, something that's been a, an additional foundation to how you approach ministry? The thing that I heard uh, a few years ago in a, in a sermon, and the thing that um, the, the sermon, the point of the sermon was that we should stop praying and asking God to use us. But we should be seeking to get so close to God that he can't help but trip over us and use us because we're always there. And that was just a, a really good lesson to me. So many times you want to get in and you want to do it all. You want to you jump in and you're saying, oh, this is what God would have me to do. And we don't take the time to sit back and wait to see what God really wants us to do. At one point in our ministry, we changed mission boards. We were with um, OMS International, and about two years into our ministry, that changed, and God changed our direction, and some doors closed. And we became very discouraged and thought, Lord, did we misread you? Well, what is your plan for us? Are we going home? And God said, no. No, this is part of my plan. OMS was part of the plan, and we became missionaries under uh, World Outreach Ministries, which opened doors to ministries that we really felt connected that God wanted us to be a part of. And one of those was a school that uh, our church has a sister church in Haiti, and I was able to free it up to go and teach in that school and to open an English school in the city to become more of the people, to move into the community and actually become, as Josie Ann would say to me, you have become Haitian. You've become one of us. And so we trust you. Those things. So sometimes we thought, Lord, it's all going wrong. And God said, wait, wait, (laughs) I have a plan and this is all part of it. Wow, that's really powerful. Thanks so much for sharing that. We're going to go ahead and take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to shift our focus a little bit more towards your ministry. Take your leadership to the next level. It's time for the Engaging Missions Leadership Minute. Hello there. This is Scott McClellan with your Leadership Minute. Thanks for checking in with us today. And I appreciate uh, the ongoing opportunity to speak to you guys. Today I'd like to draw our attention to something about the life of King David. King David's life story in the scriptures is a real beautiful demonstration of God's ability to overcome both opposition and human folly. We talked recently about opposition, and we can see a clear and 
world-class example of opposition when it comes to Saul's resistance of David. Saul, obviously the sitting king, uh, perceived something about David that was a real threat to him, inspired jealousy, and therefore David was on the run for his life uh, through this resistance. It's a big example. Um, We also see, if we look closely, that the very resistance and opposition that David got from Saul prepared him to manage his responsibilities uh, when he would actually come into his kingdom. Couldn't stop him, but could prepare him. And in this way, we see that God turns all things together for our good. Also, one of the most prominent things of David's life was his own folly, his, uh, his failures. Um, in our humanity, I think this is an encouragement to us, not to uh, demonstrate folly, but that when we do demonstrate our humanity on hopefully not a larger scale as he did, we'll be in a position to repent and ask for God's grace. And in this, we can be assured that God's grace and ability will overcome that which opposes us as we're following him and even our own folly as we are very likely to demonstrate. I want to encourage you to take a close look at David's life. Not just read through the scripture, read through the passages, you know, oh, well, I know David. Look closely, ponder, go verse by verse and try to understand the humanity and the beautiful um, tapestry of grace that is woven into this life that makes it such a quality example to us of God's beauty. Thanks for tuning in to the Leadership Minute. I'm Scott McClellan. If you'd like to contact me or us, please do so at fxmissions.com or on most social media outlets at fxmissions. Have a good one. This has been the Engaging Missions Leadership Minute. If you have a leadership question, send it to feedback at engagingmissions.com. That's feedback at engagingmissions.com. All right, we are back with Jane Dennington. We've spent a few minutes talking about some of the amazing experiences she's had, some of the challenges, amazing insights coming from her. It's just an absolute pleasure to hear from her and hear what God's been doing. Now we're going to shift a little bit, and we're going to shift our focus to the ministry. And this is a little bit unique in that, if you remember from the first part, Jane and her husband started a ministry down in Haiti. Now they're back here in the U.S. running it somewhat remotely. And so that's going to be a little bit interesting. Interesting. I'm hoping that we'll get to talk to about that. But before we get to that, I'd like to hear a little bit more about the journey that God took you, you and your husband, on to get you there. So I know that he and you, you and your husband, went down to Haiti. You stayed a little bit longer. When you came back, he said, "We need to talk." God's leading us there. How did God get you there? What were the things that went into that? Well, first of all, we had to be accepted by the mission board. And um, we had to go through a lot of testing and uh, psychological evaluations and all kinds of things like that. That took us a year and a half. One of the most difficult things is, is was raising support uh, because before we could leave, we had to be fully funded. Hmm. And that was difficult at times. 
and sometimes we could just not see the money coming in and uh, so it was a little discouraging but just an example of one time we went and spoke in a church we were asked to go we went and we of course you know not every time you go to speak your the church decides to support you yeah. and in this case they didn't and um, it was a very expensive trip to get there and I remember saying to my husband you know, why would God send us there? And it, it was expensive to go there. But then we got home, and an envelope was in, in the mail, and it was from a man that I had met on my first trip to Haiti when I went on the mission trip. And he said, God told me to mail this check to you. And the amount of the check was the, the same amount of money we had spent to go <laughs> speak in that church. And those were those little reminders. God says, I've got this. Yeah. I, I've got it set. When we did go to the mission field, um, there was an, a need for us to go quickly, and we did not go fully funded. We were at 75%, and we were told that, you know, if, if you drop below the red line and your money runs out, you will have to come home. Yeah. We never got sent home because our funding dropped below the red line. Uh, we were always close, but we lived in such a way that, well, as we would say in America, paycheck to paycheck. But all of our lives, my husband and I have lived that way. And so it wasn't difficult for us to do without at times. And when we moved more into the Haitian community and I was doing laundry in a bucket and I didn't have a washing machine and we had only cold water and those kind of things, God, through our 44 years of marriage, has we've lived through those times here in the states so doing it in haiti god just said look at all the things i taught you that it's making it easier for you to go through these things here one of the most difficult though was also leaving our children i remember one of our daughters was just crushed um she she couldn't understand at first why we would want to do this and leave our grandchildren but then God spoke to her heart, and she came to Haiti. She's as in love with Haiti as we are, and she's been back twice, and she can't wait to go back again. There's Haitians there, especially Josie Ann, that she's so close to. And she says, Mom, I get it. I get it. So God even changed hearts in our family to make it easier for us. I think that you had mentioned in some of the stuff that you sent me that even something like Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University played into your ability to go. Can you share a little bit about how that has been part of your history? Oh, when my husband and I made a lot of mistakes when we were younger, and one of those things was the American Dream credit cards. <laughs> we had so much debt. And then our church, Grace Church um, in McCain, Pennsylvania, set out to educate all of the people in our church about the Dave Ramsey uh, Financial Peace University. And so we were one of the first classes to go through. And I remember going, and at first my husband said, well, you know, I'm not really interested. But then I brought things home, and he'd watch the videos with me, and pretty soon he's going. And we got on board, and we got out of debt. Hmm. Because we got out of debt, God could call us to the mission field. If we, if we had not done that, there is no way we could have paid the debts here and also had enough money to live in a foreign country. Our debt was keeping God from using us in that very real way. And 
because of those lessons we've learned as well, we've just gone through another very difficult time financially because of me getting sick. But God has carried us through because of those principles we've learned. And I, I don't know what we would do without it. Wow, that is amazing. As we think about the ministry that you had in Haiti, now I know that you're not there right now, but what were the kinds of things that you did there? Who did you minister to? What did you do? My husband's job there was the same as he does here in the States. Hmm. He was a mechanic. He built buildings. He fixed generators. He fixed people's cars. Um, Working with his hands, one of the pastors that when we were speaking at church said to him, I would trade three pastors for one of you on my mission field, someone who can fix things. And so his work was working with different missionaries. When they would have a breakdown, he would go and, and fix them. But also as he was doing that, he was working alongside Haitians who were learning as well. And they were watching him. And they were watching his reaction. Even when we would go through very difficult times, they watched him and they said, you're not doing this for the mission. You're doing this for Jesus, aren't you? And so they could see that in him. For myself, I worked with children. I worked with a school getting sponsorships for children. I taught in a school. I taught English and art class, which was so much fun. Uh, Children hadn't even seen a pair of scissors before. And um, I also visited schools, uh, met with parents and teachers trying to help settle some disagreements. And I also worked with an orphanage. When there was a difficult time in Haiti that there was a lot of rain and a large mudslide, My husband tells me that there was enough mud and gravel in our yard that it would have taken 10 um, dump trucks to haul it all away if we tried. And so one of our concerns was for our neighbors. And so we went out into the neighborhood and we were checking on our neighbors. And that was one of those things that people say you shouldn't do because we happened to be renting a home in the neighborhood um, where there's some, a lot of criminals lived. But they were our neighbors. And we went out and visited them and see if they were okay, if their kids were sick, if there was anything we could do. And as we were looking, we found this house full of kids. There were 16 children in this building, and many of them looked like they were in pretty poor shape, um, hungry, big bellies. They were full of parasites. And so the, the man who was there with them said to me that it was an orphanage. It was a neighborhood orphanage that... He had started because he got tired of seeing kids walking around hungry and they had no one. So he would take them into this house and he was working as an interpreter at a hotel and tried to feed and care for these kids. But it had gotten to the point where it was more than he could handle. And he didn't know what to do, but he definitely couldn't put the kids out on the street. And so my husband and I prayed about it and said, Lord, what is our role in this? And the Lord shared with us, do as I do, provide food and shelter. And so my husband and I contacted our supporters and we started a feeding program for these children where we would go and buy the food and we would deliver it every month of a month's supply of food for these children. Took them to a clinic, had them all checked over, uh, got them into good health. And the entire, well, for two and a half years, we worked with this orphanage. In the meantime, we also met a little boy named Sammy. He had been brought into one of the clinics where we were there with the sick children, and a nurse said to me, Madame Jane, we have a little baby who's dying, and we have nobody to take care of him. He had been found in a suitcase, left in a house. 
He was 11 months old, weighed 8 pounds. Hmm. He couldn't roll over, he couldn't lift his head, he couldn't move his legs. And he was seemed to be that he didn't have much time in this world left. Very lethargic. And I have to admit, at first I said, no, I can't. It's so much a risk. If I take this baby home and he dies in my home, how do I explain that to the Haitian government? Right. But God just really touched my heart and said, I want you to take Sammy home. And we did. Called my husband up. Said, honey, do you have any money in your pocket? And he said, no. And I said, well, then could you borrow some from our missionary friends? We need diapers and formula. And he said, I'm not even going to ask why, Jane. (laughs) Um, And he came home and we had this little boy with us. And I believe that God put us there for Sammy was one of our reasons to be there. Sammy is now three years old. He's healthy. He's strong. He's doing well. He's in Haiti. He has foster parents that that we're supporting to take care of him. And um, he's just God's miracle. Just God's miracle. So how how many lives, how many generations do you think have been impacted by what you've done and by the generosity and the partnership of the people that you are connected with? Well, first of all, it's how many lives have Jesus touched because Hmm. of, of us being tools. Fair enough. Because there were so many times that I said, Lord, I can't do this. I don't have the strength to do this. I don't know what to do. And God said, this is my ministry. This is my work. You're just a temporary tool that I'm using right now. And I think of Jocelyn, who was a young man who was brought to our home to um, be our security guard. And um, we shared Jesus with him. I gave him a Bible, taught him English. And he just grew and went to church with us every Sunday. And he'd say, but I'm the security guard. I can't leave. And I said, God will take care of the house. You need to go to church. And he sat there and one day was in tears and said, I'm living with a woman and we have a child. She's not my wife. And I want to get married, but I don't have the money. And so we had a wedding. And actually, I was asked to be the godmother of the wedding. And um, he is now married and he's active in his church, sings in the choir, and he's the young man who's running our ministry now that we're in the States. Um, He's feeding the orphans, we send the money to him, he does the bookkeeping, and he's doing an amazing job. I think of Daniel, who came into my English class, who was very active into voodoo. His father, from what I was told, was a witch doctor. And um, he sat there in my class, and he said, Teacher, you always talk about Jesus. And I said, Well, I can't imagine not talking about Jesus. And he said, I want to know more. And so he, one day he got down on his knees in class and he accepted Christ. He is now going to seminary to be a youth pastor. <laughs> he has a soup kitchen in his neighborhood for children who live in lean tombs around um, on piles of garbage next to the river. He's feeding over 100 kids a week. And so one of our things with our ministry is we also send money to him. And he's doing it all. He's teaching children to read. He's teaching them about Jesus. And that's generations are going to be touched by Daniel. Generations are going to be touched by Jesslyn. And I believe that God has had Sammy spared because God has a plan for Sammy too. And isn't that what it's about? Equipping other people to help their own countries. It isn't about us going in and doing for them. It's us coming along and teaching them to do for themselves because we eventually go home. But they will stay there and they will continue to be God's hands and feet. 
That's great. And it's the perfect lead into where I wanted to go next. Uh, I'm, again, just almost without words because of seeing the faithfulness of God working in and through your lives and what he's doing. I, I definitely hear that passion. And I also know that you're now in the U.S., so your ministry has shifted. And I know that you have somebody in Haiti who's running that ministry. Can you share with us what you're doing now? I know you're involved in several different things. Well, in April of 2014, like many women, I found a lump. And um, I was in Haiti, and um, it scared me. I went to a doctor in Haiti. They told me there was nothing wrong with me. But God, in his wisdom, a a North American doctor came over, and I got to talk to him, and he said, get on the next plane. Within three days, I had to leave Haiti, and I had advanced stages of HER2 breast cancer. Hmm. My husband stayed behind to pack up our things, to find someone to care for Sammy, to um, get Jessalyn taken care of, and um, we had to come home. I remember sitting on that plane and saying, God, did I do something wrong? Why, why have you closed this door so quickly? And God said, no, you remember, those children are my children. Sammy is my little boy. Jesslyn is mine. You were a tool. And now it's time for you. I'm going to use this thing, this cancer, to shift things a little bit. I'm with you. It's going to be fine. And um, I went through the rough year, a rough year of my life fighting cancer. But I could say that God has healed me. The cancer is gone. And I believe that I went through... A lot of that, the chemo, and a lot of that to give me another tool to use for God. There are so many women going through cancer. One in eight women will have breast cancer this year. And so many of them go through it alone. So many of them don't have Christ. And I can't imagine going through that without Him. And so God has given me another tool now to help these women and a desire to help women that are going through these times. I'm in the Fourth Angel program for the Cleveland Clinic, which is a program where women can call the Cleveland Clinic and say, I I really need a mentor. I need somebody to go through this with me. And they match you up with someone your age, someone with the same kind of cancer, going through the same kind of treatments that can just be someone to talk to, to share with. And, And that's one of those jobs that I have. I'm a mentor. I've also been asked to work with Samaritan's Purse as a liaison with churches for Operation Christmas Child. When I was in Haiti, one of the wonderful tools I got to you were the Christmas boxes hmm. that came over that I could pass out to children and tell them that this came from Jesus through people who love Jesus and share with them how much Jesus loves them. So it was an honor for me to be, to, um, be asked to go out and speak in churches and encourage people to pack those boxes. In this country, a child would get a toothbrush and a washcloth for Christmas and they would just what? Parents, what are you thinking? But in Haiti, the screams and the cheers and the excitement over a bar of soap and a small toy for kids who have nothing. Ten million boxes went out last year. That's not even a drop in the bucket for India. There's five million kids in Haiti alone, so we have so many more boxes we need to pack. And so we're working with that. My husband and I are volunteering at our church, and I just we're making ourselves available again. We don't know all that God will have us to do. We still support the missionary or the the orphanage in Haiti. Um, We don't. Our supporters do. God built us an amazing team. Uh, We were the forefront 
of that team for a short time. We've now dropped back into the, the team and uh, we raise money to send to the orphanage to Jesslyn so he can continue to feed the children. We're on prayer teams and so that's God's plan. We don't always know where we're going to be on what team and what role we're <laughs> going to play in the ministry that he's building. But he promises that we all, when we get to heaven, he'll be able to say to us, well done. Well done. You did as I asked. And um, I think that's one of the greatest rewards. So we're still not finished. We're still working with Haiti. We're in and out. We go in once a year We, as we can raise the money to go and um, check on the orphanage, pay the rent for the building. And we also go in and see our friends and encourage those that we worked with over the years. But we're also working with cancer survivors and uh, and Operation Christmas Child now. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing that. We're just about ready to tie a bow on this section. But before we go, for those of you listening, if if you've connected at all with what Jane has been sharing, in particular about Samaritan's Purse and Operation Christmas Child, I would like to encourage you because we're coming up on the season where, where they'll be raising funds and getting people to get, build boxes. I would encourage you to find out where you have an opportunity to plug into that because I believe, along with Jane, that those boxes change lives when, when Christ is at the center of what we do and is, when we have an opportunity to be part of what He wants to accomplish. So I would just encourage you to do that. With that, we are going to take a quick break. Uh, we'll, when we come back, we're going to shift our focus one last time more toward you, the listener, as we learn from what Jane has gathered in experience and wisdom and tools and resources. So stick with us. We'll be right back. Here's a taste of what's coming up on the Engaging Mission Show. Yeah, I, I think the, the story of faithfulness that I would just proclaim about Jesus Christ is there are just so many times where I would go into a Hindu home, and just all the different languages and smells and colors, and overwhelmed that, you know, God, dear God, how are these people so different from me, different languages, different dialects, how are they going to come to know you? You know, it's just such an overwhelming thing to step into that, I mean, and see all these gods and goddesses and, and um, but but to to start that habit of prayer and begin starting the book of Genesis and working your way through the stories of the Bible and just, you know, working through nationals to speak that language and see God transform lives. Because really I mean it's the same thing over here. People speak a global language of love and if you get them into the Word of God and you ask the Spirit of God to change their life, he can. You know, and and it's just it's that simple. So he's just faithful to, and we've seen you know many families over there repent, believe, take believers' baptism, start ministry. So it's just been really encouraging to see God's faithfulness to it all. If you enjoyed that, you won't want to miss a single episode of the Engaging Mission Show. Subscribe in iTunes or Stitcher to have it delivered automatically. Visit engagingmissions.com/slash/subscribe. That's engagingmissions.com/slash/subscribe. If you're enjoying the Engaging Mission show, would you consider partnering with us? You can do that by telling people about the show or by donating to help cover the cost of the show. Visit engagingmissions.com partner to learn more.
All right, we are back with Jane Dennington. We've been talking a little bit about her, getting to know her and the ministry. And right before we left for the break, she was sharing about some of the stuff she's doing with Operation Christmas Child and the boxes. And while we were on the break, she mentioned something that even I didn't know. So I think this ties in perfectly for an opportunity to be involved in global missions and what God's doing in the world. Jane, would you mind sharing for us what what you were sharing with me during the break? One of the th- wonderful things about working with Samaritan's Purse, and you can go to uh, SamaritansPurse.com, and you can learn all about the Christmas boxes and their stories and things there. But one of the nicest things that they've done now is you can, as I did with my grandchildren, we packed boxes, and then we register them online with Samaritan's Purse. And then in March, they got an email back telling them what country their box went to. So then we had the fun of looking it up and, and learning about that country. But it just kept that ministry alive in their minds. And my grandchildren can't wait to pack boxes again. And this year, they said, Grandma, can we each pack two boxes? And I said, sure, we can. And uh, they were hoping maybe they'd go to two different countries. They can put letters in there and pictures in in there and and there's just uh, so amazing stories of how special boxes got to special kids and uh, just uh, really quickly let me share you with you a little girl in Mexico opened her box and she was crying and they asked her why and here her aunt and uncle had come up missing two years before and they presumed they were dead because they were in an area of the country that was very dangerous when she opened her box there was a picture it was her aunt and uncle. They <laughs> made it to the United States, and they were in a church, and they packed a box, and they put their picture in the box, having no idea what, where that box was going in the world, and it ended up in the hands of their niece in Mexico. Well, Even Jane, God picks where they go. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. So this is the part of the interview where I normally feel like I have an agenda to stick with. And to be quite honest, the story that you just shared has kind of knocked me off my my game, and that's fine because I feel like God has some life here that's more than just what I would the questions I would normally ask. What other ways can people be involved in what God's doing around the world? First, keep your ears open. Um, the mission fields are getting very difficult. We have very few young people wanting to go into min- missions anymore. Churches aren't putting an emphasis on missions as much as they used to. Do, used to. We found that out as we were speaking and trying to travel and speak in churches. And so it's, it's up to the people of the church to say to their church, what are we doing for the world? Our church is very active in missions locally and a, a, across um, the ocean. There are missions in your neighborhood you can do. We have a, a thing called Operation um, Serve Erie, where churches get together and go out and do community work together to help schools and other organizations. That's something we can all do. Missions isn't always overseas. God doesn't always call you to to a long-term mission. Maybe he's only called you to be in this ministry for such a time as this because you have a, a gift that he can use right now and you're the tool he's using. But just get so close to God that he can't help but use you in any kind of ministry. And keep your eyes open as to how would God have you to help someone in another country. He will show you. Um, God isn't a God of secrets. If you show you're willing, and that's the biggest, the biggest thing is to be willing. God will not let that pass. He will give you a, a vision. He will give you a passion. He will show you how you're to work. 
I know that from that the the majority of the people who are connected with this show are people who are in the U.S. and who are called into the marketplace. They they care about missions, they care about ministry, but they don't necessarily feel called to a vocational missions type thing. And sometimes in that position, it can feel like what we're doing doesn't really matter. What would you share with somebody who is in that position? They're starting to wonder if what they do in the marketplace, in business, in their community actually matters for the kingdom. Oh, it matters so much. There used to be a... Um a cell, cellular phone uh, commercial out that it showed this couple and, and people would say, oh, you don't want to go there. It's a dead zone. Don't go there. And they would turn around and say, oh, but I have this team behind me. I'm going to be just fine. And they're business people. And they're pr- people who pray. And they're people who fund. And there are people that just go out and, and share what they know. It's a, it's a whole team. And God never does anything without building a team. There's got to be a people to back up people. You know, if, if God would stop using people, his ministries would go a whole lot better. <laughs> he chooses to use us because there's something in it for us to learn. And even being a good doctor, being a good nurse, being a wonderful teacher. Uh, I met a little boy today who's so lonely. And just have someone spend a little time to listen to a story that a child is telling you or give them a little time or a smile. You don't know how that's affecting that person. Pass a person on the street and smile at them. Maybe you're the only person that has smiled in their direction in a very long time. You don't know. Just always be willing that when God opens a door, even if he tells you, I need you to call this person today. Just get on the phone and call this person. Lord, I'm really busy today. If they do, they'll keep me on the phone for an hour. But just do it. Just do it and be that tool because you don't know what that person's going through that God told you to make that phone call. Is there a, maybe a book or an Internet resource you'd like to recommend for our listeners? There is an re- excellent book about missions. It's called When Helping Hurts. Um, and the author's mind, his name is Stephen. Oh, Colton, I think, and um, but it's if you just Google when helping hurts, it's an excellent book on missions, how to help and how not to be harmful, and uh, so that's one of them. Of course, the Bible. I mean, God, God has given wonderful examples and, <laughs> and stories in there to encourage us that uh, how He works and how He helps us. But um, there are just so many good books out there. But that is one that really helped me to understand when we're being good missionaries and when we're actually hurting God's cause. Yeah, that was a really good book for me. A few years ago, I was involved in the benevolence ministry at our church, and that one really helped me to understand when I was just enabling people versus actually providing real assistance. So that's great. For those of you listening, I will have all of this linked up for you in the show notes, which will be at engagingmissions.com slash Jane Dennington. So if you're on your way to work or you're working out or something like that and you don't have a chance to write it down, don't worry. Just stop by. I'll have that linked up for you right there. Now, Jane, we're just about done. Would you mind sharing with us maybe one last piece of advice and the best way for someone to connect with you? Then we'll say goodbye. Hey, well, uh, the best way to connect with me is you can go contact us through Bud and Jane, all spelled out, at gmail.com. Love to hear from you. If I can be an encouragement to someone who's going through cancer or someone who has going through a, a time of wondering how God is working in their life or just needs to talk, I'm, I'm available. I can help in any way I can help. 
and um, if someone would love to have me come and speak and uh, about missions, about cancer, about and whatever I can do, women's groups or things, I would love to do that. But like I said, I think the most important thing is God sees good things in all of us. Don't let the lies that Satan whispers in your ear and say you're not good enough. Um, I've probably, my mother even said to me, um, you're the least likely of my children that I felt that God would call to be a missionary. Um, because God, in the book of Hebrews, shows us, he uses the misfits of this world to do his greatest work. Because then God, people recognize it's from God. It certainly didn't come from us because we're just so imperfect. Just realize that God loves you and get so close to him that he can't help but use you to touch someone else's life. Powerful words. Thank you so much for being with us today, Jane. I really appreciate you taking the time to do this. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Engaging Mission Show. You can find more great content like this, along with show notes, by visiting engagingmissions.com or by subscribing to the show in iTunes or Stitcher. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us an honest rating and review in iTunes. Audio editing was provided by Jeff Butterworth of Sound Paradigm Studio. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll be back next week.